You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. Wait a minute. Do you still think politics is boring? Well, not when you can say fun words like cacus. Yes, it's fun words like cacus and more. With the intellectual, intersexual, and intersectional, Nicole Sandler on NicoleSandler.com. Welcome to a Wednesday, everybody. You know, uh, that intro was uh, a production of our friend Boca, Brittany Summers, and just spoke with her today. She's doing really well. She's doing so much better. So I like to share the good news. So uh, she got the clearance from her doctor to drive again. It's only been eight months. So um, that's good news. And she'll join us on the air one of these days when she's feeling up to it. Um, uh, so here's the thing. Uh, NPR has left Twitter. We're going to get into more important stuff today, I promise. But you know, I like to begin on a light note. We'll get, we'll get, we'll get serious, sir. <laughs> As the hour goes, I promise you. But, you know, since we can, let's start with a song. Um, and, and it's kind of about NPR leaving Twitter because Elmo decided to label them state media which is, you know, bullshit. Um, so with that in mind, take it away, Miss Lori Lanner. Pardon me, is everybody here? Because if everybody's here, I'd like to thank you all for coming to my TED Talk. I'm just kidding, this is Twitter and it's going down the shitter, but I'm not about to lose the largest following I have. I have a YouTube and a TikTok, I'm on Patreon and Instagram, but none of them have done for me what shit posting on Twitter has. So thank you all for the likes and the follows. Thank you all, I'll still be here tomorrow And go tell Elon I'm not leaving Twitter today mm. Bless this day Daddy wrote a check <laughs> Now we like big tech Bless this day For the trolls The a-hole Look 
I didn't want to have to make another politics, but honestly, that's what most of us talk about on Twitter. We've been trying to suppress this information, wasn't working. I don't know, but now some jerk wants to play God of moderation. I mean, God, what is this Facebook where they pave the way for racists? Will we ever find the peace of mind of your obvious thesis? And I thank you all for the hate in the comments. You've been great. Now it's back to your nonsense. Just one day, your new website is broken. Come on, Elon, this must be a joke. And I can't like tweets, but I'm not leaving Twitter today. No, we won't go unless there is a charge for this free app. We were happy-ish with the way it's been. Just a quick lot of pay for a bored, crazy billionaire. Hey, Elon, they still don't have clean water. Listen up, I'm gonna say the quiet part out loud now Cause if Trump comes back, I'll gladly make a riot of a crowd Can we let them be so loud and won't we challenge quiet down Cause we get nothing but the members if we're always seating ground So thanks for staying if you're staying And if not, I understand, but I hope someday if we need you You can come give us a hand with him And yes, it sucks But I'm not leaving Twitter Let's fuck shit up I'm not leaving Twitter Follow this You're not leaving Twitter See, I'm not leaving Twitter And wow. no one cares But I'm not leaving Twitter Wow. Miss Lori Laner, everybody. And she left Twitter. You know, uh, what can I tell you? She she left. I still haven't. But we were informed now that um, those of us who got those blue check marks, you know, legitimately for free, uh, they're going to be taken away on 420. I don't know if it's that that's a commentary on marijuana or on. Um, I think 420 is Hitler's birthday, too. So just saying. Anyway, she's awesome. Miss Lori Lerner, uh, L-E-H-N-E-R, Lerner, I guess is how you say it. And yeah, she does have a Broadway, but she can sing. And she also sings real music. So I haven't told you this yet, but on the weekend of May 5th and 6th, I am, David and I, sorry, I got hair in my mouth. David and I are going to, Jazz Fest in New Orleans Um, because Judith Owen, who's been on the show, you've heard her, uh, is kicking off her tour, her new album, which is just awesome uh, at Jazz Fest. And basically she invited us and we're going to do an interview for here and for the new project I'm putting together. So um, and then I find out Lori Laner lives in New Orleans. So we're going to try to get together and maybe tape something, too, although She's going to join us. I think next week she'll be on the show. I'm all over the place today. And and uh, please excuse me. First of all, good news out of Tennessee. And I know that's almost an oxymoron. But um, the Shelby County Commission, which encompasses Memphis, which is the, where Justin Pearson, the second young black man who was exiled who was expelled from the uh the the tennessee house of representatives for you know protesting against gun violence um was reinstated today the vote was seven zero i think there are like 16 members on that commission only seven were there and they all voted to reinstate him so so Hernan says, so so wait, what happens to the money people paid for their blue check marks? We didn't pay money for those check marks. Let me make this perfectly clear. I didn't pay a dime for that blue check mark. What the blue check mark on Twitter has been up until Elmo took over is basic it's verification. It says you are who you say you are. So if you see my Twitter account, you know it's me and not anybody posing as me, not that anyone would, but just saying. And there was no charge for that. Elmo wants to make some of his $44 billion back. 
amazing. And so what he's doing is charging people now for a blue check mark, which doesn't mean shit. It just means that you're gullible enough to give a billionaire money like he needs it. Well, I guess he does because he overpaid for Twitter by many billions of dollars. But that's, you know, that's his fault, not ours. So allegedly on, on April 20th, the uh, those of us who legitimately got the verification for free will allegedly lose our check marks. And oh, well, as as Lori said, I'm not leaving Twitter yet. Not today, although she left. Anyway, um, before we move on, you know, something I haven't done in a while, I used to do it fairly often. I want to share with you some email because I get lots of email here on this show. And and sometimes it's, you know, it's awesome. Like um, yesterday I got an email from who was this from? Oh, well, it's let me read it to you and you'll hear why this person didn't sign it. He said, Dear Nicole, I think it's a he, I know you'll address the latest mass shooting to make it to the national news, Kentucky, unless something new has happened. However, it is the 153rd mass shooting this year. I was speaking to someone the other day that I was in a building adjacent to a mass shooting in El Paso. You were by the Walmart shooting, was the response? No, I replied, near the VA facility. We can't even refer to the shootings by the city or school where they occurred. This is why I propose we start referring to these shootings by their number. This latest shooting is the 153rd mass shooting this year. It would also emphasize how many of these are occurring because most don't even make the news. I hope this will catch on and show people the scale of the problem. By the way... The O.K. Corral killed three people, and the Lincoln County War left 23 dead, for reference. And then it's signed, respectfully, long-time listener, but no name since I work with right-wingers and want to stay anonymous. I get it, anonymous. I, I, I fully understand, because a lot of people are afraid to stand up and speak out because of the people around them. Okay, letter number two. Well, actually, from yesterday, here's another listener email. And and actually, Steve sent three. The first two were works in progress. You see, Steve, throughout the day, was emailing me with different versions of a parody song that he put together because he knows I love the parody songs. Now, Steve, my first critique is it's a little too long. But, you know, all in the spirit of fun, here's what Steve put together for us. Okay, too, the intro's too long for a parody, but okay. I know I've deceived you, so don't be surprised. I'll grift all you have and there's malice in my eyes. Okay. I keep telling lies and the idea and when i have time we'll 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 hear the whole thing maybe steve good work keep it up see and that leads to another email that i got today from eric in berkeley michigan who writes hi nicole i love your show it helps sane people cope with an insane world keep doing what you do and then he said i know you like parody songs so i thought you might enjoy a trump related limerick here it goes there once was a lassie named stormy of whom Trump said she does nothing for me. 
She was questioned by Bragg, said we managed to shag, but to tell you the truth, did it bore me? Eric, Berkeley, uh, Michigan. Uh, very good. That, that, that was good. But I don't want you to think they're all like that. So this one also showed up in my inbox today. I can't, oh, the, the, uh, the subject line was no thanks. Okay. And, and here's, here's the entirety of the email. I catch your three o'clock news before Randy Rhodes every day. I note you constantly grift for contributions. Well, I don't. I tag the news with a thing saying, we're not behind a paywall. Show's free, but we are listener supported. So if you can afford it and you would appreciate the content, please do support the work I do. It's tagged every day. I, I don't know that that's grifting, but, oh, but I digress. I catch your three o'clock news before Randy Rhodes every day. I note you constantly grift for contributions. Seriously, I'll never forgive you for trashing Hillary in 2016, thus unambiguously tilting the table for Trump. Go to hell. Signed, Harrison Anthony King of Calhoun, Georgia. Hey, Harrison Anthony King, I got a little song for you. I just need you to shut the fuck up because nobody asked you, bitch. I need you to shut the fuck up, bitch. Shut the fuck up, bitch. See, I just had to get it out. Thanks, Harrison. And as I responded to him, I said, gee, you sound you you seem nice. Have a lovely day. See, I get lots of emails. I read them all. I don't respond to them all. But every once in a while, you know, got to do it. All right. So we are in um, very strange times. And, you know, that, this Harrison Anthony guy, that's not how we're going to (laughs) win. My producer is demanding. I am. Oh, sorry. She is. Sorry. Uh, anyway, so uh, uh, it's it's been a day. Um, so uh, today's guest is fascinating. When I read his bio, I'm thinking, is there anything this man doesn't do? So let me bring in Eli Merritt. Hi, Eli. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you didn't mind my little song there. Occasionally, I just have to give some feedback to Listeners who deserve it. I haven't had so much fun in a while. Thank you. (laughs) I'm glad to hear it. Um, So you are a professor at Vanderbilt, and I'm reading, and you you have a new book out. The book is called How to Save Democracy, and I'm thinking, okay, we need that right now. Um, So anybody who has a good idea of how to save democracy is welcome to share that with us. Now, and you've got the credentials because you're a professor at Vanderbilt, and you deal with these issues. In fact, um, uh, if I can bring it up here, your your bio is so impressive. It says you at Vanderbilt, you research the ethics of democracy, the interface of demagogues and democracy and the founding principles of the United States. Cool. You know, I, I love picking the brains of people with knowledge and um, and, and it's important. But then I read on. And you, you've edited other books and written other books and articles for the New York Times on Los Angeles Times, Seattle Times, Daily News, USA Today. It goes on and on and on. But then I read, <laughs> you got your BA in history at Yale, your MA in ethics at Yale, your MD 
at Case Western Reserve, internal medicine internship at the Leahy Clinic, and psychiatry residency at Stanford. So I think you're probably the most qualified person in the world to talk about our political situation going on here in the United States right now, uh, because I think the psychiatry expertise yeah. really must help at this at, at this point in time. Well, I appreciate you uh, saying that. It is true that I'm on my second career. Uh, I pivoted as a visiting scholar at Vanderbilt in 2018. I had practiced psychiatry for 20 years with a specialty in psychotherapy of depression, and uh, I felt called out. 2018 was obviously two years after 2016, Mm -hmm. and I had an important influence in my own father, who was a federal prosecutor and then a federal judge. And so it was a tough pivot to make, but I did make the pivot, and connecting psychiatry with democracy, I pivoted directly into writing about the history of demagogues, And along with others really pinpointing, hey, you know, in terms of clear political science definitions, Donald Trump is a demagogue, and that's not even meant to be a pejorative term. But the important thing to understand is demagogues came around at basically the same time that democracy did, and they're well known to be the greatest threat that can exist to a healthy democracy. So I began to write about Trump as a demagogue and with, as you said, smaller newspapers and larger newspapers and it's led to a Substack um, uh, newsletter now called American Commonwealth, where I write about once a week, and a collection of essays called The Curse of Demagogues, The Lessons Learned from the Presidency of Donald J. Trump. So that's my area of greatest interest. Wow. With regard to how to save democracy, that's a collection of quotations from the first summit for democracy. And I'll just say that there's many ways to answer the question, how to save democracy, but one of the uh, world leaders there, the president of Lithuania, said we have all come together at this summit to deepen our understanding of how democracy works and how tyranny happens. So I would say that is really, we can talk more about this or whatever you want, but we need to understand how democracy works before we can figure out how to fix, so to speak, of democracy. Right. And, you know, I, 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 there is a little bit of uh, why for me reading that email before you came on, because, you know, so much we we are such an angry society right now everything i think emanates from anger and this this poor man has me i guess confused with somebody who has a lot more power um first of all in 2016 before the ele- in, in august of 2016 i went off the air for a few months came back on about 3 weeks before the election because i had lung cancer and I had surgery, so I don't know how I trashed Hillary to make her lose the election to Donald Trump. But aren't isn't there a lot of misplaced anger right now? I mean, look, I, Hillary was not my first choice. I voted for her enthusiastically against Trump. Um, but the fact that somebody is holding a grudge against me from, I guess, primary season of 2016 when I did support Bernie Sanders I, and blaming me for Donald Trump seems that... We're not grasping the reality of what's going on here. It had nothing to do with me. It had more to do with the mood of the nation. And I'm still not sure what it is that 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 turned people from being Obama supporters to then voting for Donald Trump to I I know he lost the popular vote, but he did win the Electoral College, which is unfortunately all it takes here in this country to to rise to the presidency. We've had others 
um, who who did not win the popular vote, they tend to be Republicans, um, get into office. Uh, do, do, I don't know what I'm asking here. Maybe I'm asking, do people not understand how things work and that's why they get angry because shit happens that they don't understand? Well, the uh, anger, uh, pretty well known in the study of psychology, is foremost uh, born of a seeming threat to survival or an overactive uh, sympathetic nervous system. Another way to think about that is the fight or flight uh, feelings that people have. In, in many different ways, I like to think of a democracy as a house. And so just in this context, that I think a lot of people have the sense there's enough threat going on in our society as it is. And we're, we're, we're challenged by a lot of developments in our culture where there are now technological issues. I think dis, feelings of geographic dislocation and dislocations from family. So there's a lot of things causing insecurity. But when you start to feel like your house that you live in is uh, is faulty or an earthquake is striking and the house might fall in on you, people do get, shall we say, testy and a bit stressed. And then that stress leads to a, a great deal of anger. So we have enough problems in our society to make folks feel insecure. Now, essentially effective of 2016, there is a deep feeling on both sides, I think, even though a lot of Republicans won't acknowledge it, that our democracy, this is not hyperbole, our democracy is truly at risk. And so people are scared. There's a yeah. lot of activation of fight or flight in both, uh, in both parties. And that's, I think, in a way, the cause of the anger. But there's also a, a Donald Trump and then his followers have begun to really model uh, this demagoguery, meaning use of high uh, emotions of fear-mongering and, and, and bigotry and scaremongering and hate and anger, as you're saying. So this genie has been let out of the bottle mainly by Trump and right-wing media, most significantly Fox News. And so it's just hitting us and social media – uh, so I think the anger comes from, in some ways, the role modeling and larger cultural pattern, the larger culture of media that we're living in. Right. And it's also and, and you know, you're the, you're the psychiatrist. I'm, I just sort of play one on the radio. I, I, you know, I think Donald Trump let the genie out of the bottle. He said it's OK to be openly bigoted to be openly racist, let your racist flag fly. And they did. He he said the quiet part out loud and told everyone, it's okay, you can do it too. I mean, he said things during debates, during rallies, that sane, the sane people among us figured would tank any presidential campaign. You can't do those things. You can't have a tape out there saying that you grab women by the pussy. And if you're famous, they'll let you do it and still become president. However, everything got turned on its head. As somebody who studied history and as a historian and, and knows, you know, how democracy works, did that surprise you? I mean, because I thought once that Access Hollywood tape came out, I thought, thank God he's gone. Were you surprised that he survived that? I was very surprised that he survived that. And for those of us that were paying attention over the past seven years, we could probably go back. I mean, it's even continues to happen today that there's one development after another that is breaking with norms. Yeah. And that seems, according to the old rules of the game, that it would have been disqualifying. And the way I view that is uh, democracy requires 
an internal ethical infrastructure for it to operate, sort of the connective tissue of the democracy. This has been spoken about since the beginning of democracy. The term that's been used most historically is civic virtue. And other terms we use are democratic norms, uh, democratic political values, Mm -hmm. democratic behavior values. So Trump has very successfully sort of blown through most of those, uh, or uh, I would say most of those. I think that's an accurate statement. And it's very, very threatening. And how we restore those things is challenging to know. But for the most part, the Democratic Party, I think, continues to be an ethical constitutional democracy. We've got to have all three of those components. Democracy enough is well known to history to be mm-hmm. a, a chaotic, destructive, and often bloody form of government. That's well known. So then you add the Constitution to it, and you have the rule of law that surrounds it. But then also I think what we're learning now is something that we just took for granted I'm 56, so I took for granted, I think, was just built in, baked into our democracy before Trump. And that is, for the most part, these folks in the three branches of our government, they have sort of internalized or externalized codes of ethics that they operate by, and that is automatic. So we've seen, once you get a breakdown of the ethical codes of ethics, of the ethical infrastructure, the House, uh, I'll give one more analogy to what I think is the House of Democracy. There's four cornerstones, four cornerstones, um, and one is critically the will of the people as expressed in, in, in voting. Another is the rule of law. Another is checks and balances. And then the last one to really bring home the point, which we don't talk about much, is a fundamental cornerstone of democracy. That fourth cornerstone is ethical leadership. We have to at least strive for that. And that's <laughs> out, out the door. You know, I, I have a theory that I came up with many years ago, and I, it's opposite world. We're living an opposite world. Nothing makes sense. I mean, here, here's my little... Um... Everything you thought you knew, you never knew at all. Sideways is straight ahead. Facts no longer matter. Reality is now fiction. There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, opposite, opposite world. Opposite world. Because nothing makes sense. And we are, you know, we were there when I came up with that 10 years ago. Now it's that on steroids. You you yeah. you know you have a background in ethics. Oh, I want to go there, but I think we need to start with the basics. This is not actually a democracy, is it? We it never has been. Has it been? Is it? Oh wow! Well, now you're opening up a big can of worms. <laughs> How can I answer that in an intelligent way? Uh, briefly, you know, we've been the most appropriate uh, descriptive term, other than ethical constitutional democracy, is representational democracy. So this idea of direct democracies has been demonstrated even in ancient Greece. It only lasted for uh, 100 years. It just doesn't work. It doesn't have enough built-in structure, enough built-in checks and balances in order to operate uh, successfully. So we started out in our country as a very quite intelligent republic Mm -hmm. or, or representational democracy. And through the great efforts of, of individuals over the course of the next 200 years, the democracy expanded, as we all know, from uh, landed white males having the right to vote now to universal suffrage, which in uh, some one of our political parties is trying to constrain. But uh, so, you know, we, we're a democracy. I, I think uh, we've the ethical piece is the most perilous right now. Uh, and there's much more we can do to expand the suffrage and we could get money out of politics because there is some truth. People say, no, actually, the people. The people's vote doesn't have power. It's money in politics that has power. Yeah, so well. we're a we're a compromised uh, 
constitutional democracy, but I would, I would continue to still say we are a constitutional democracy. If arbitrary government gets installed uh, by an individual like Trump with the support of the military at some point, then I'll say we've lost our democracy. We've got to figure out uh, what to do. Uh, got it. OK, so that's out of the way. You know, some will say, well, it's a republic, not a democracy. Uh, it's semantics. We this is a form of government represented. The people are represented by their elected uh, representatives and that that uh, allegedly our votes count. So there there you go. Um, although some of the elements of democracy seem to be uh, sort of fading away over the years. Now, ethics. Interesting that Ed Ed the second in the chat room I don't know that I agree with him, but he said, few know what ethics means. If I had to define it, I probably couldn't, but I I know it when I see it, and I know it when it's not in play, like at our Supreme Court. We, our Supreme Court does not have to follow the same ethics rules as the rest of the judiciary? Wow. Yeah, that's an unfortunate artifact of the, the judicial system. <clears throat> you know, and often, it, rightfully so, people are confused about, oh, how, it sounds totally judgmental to say this person is ethical and this person is not. And so what is ethics? I think the easiest way to tackle that is to simply recognize that draft out a code of ethics, uh, which is a prescription for how we're going to behave uh, in terms of physical behavior, but also in terms of the behave, speech behavior. So that's when you understand what, what being ethical is, is to understand the code of ethics. And codes of ethics can be born within us through our educational systems, through our family uh, family systems, and then they can be broken down. So I think we, because the internal and group ethics have been compromised, we do need, be, we do need to begin to draft codes of ethics that we abide by. And I'll just say, if you really want to know uh, what ethics is, Either go on to my homepage of my Substack, American Commonwealth. Again, I don't know how you find it. My name plus American Commonwealth, and there, my homepage posted. If you click on the top, um, the uh, the image of January sixth, you'll find NPR's codes of code of ethics. You could also go to their website where they call it the NPR Handbook of Ethics. It's beautiful. It demonstrates you can have free speech and codes of ethics operating together. So how we get reform where we have really wonderful codes of ethics like NPR's back into media, I'm not certain, but certainly uh, there was a time not too long ago when I was growing up where all of the major networks adhered to codes of ethics very similar to NPR's. And the effect of that was that all Americans were getting not only the same news, they were getting the truth. Right. And that's what that's what matters. That's why that period, with all of its compromise, was functioning much better as a democracy than we are today. The news is so important. The news media, the press is the fourth branch of government is so important. And now it's in a state of complete disarray. And it is. And I we can look to Donald Trump again. You know, this 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 snake oil salesman from Queens who I you know, I grew I grew up in New York and he was always there. He was a joke then. And the fact that this man got on TV and played a character, he was given a character. They gave him a persona of a billionaire successful businessman. That was not actually him. But 
you know, what he, there was something prophetic about him saying, I love the poorly educated because a dumbed down electorate is one that would elect Donald Trump and let him get away with this stuff. So saying the press is the enemy of the people, people mm-hmm. don't understand the history of that. You want to explain where that came from? Well, in fact, this idea that the press is the enemy of the people is one of the essential tools in the toolbox of all demagogues uh, going back throughout our history. We, we've had a lot. But what, what, what's happened is we've never had a demagogue who tilts into authoritarianism um, in the White House. So that's the unique uh, danger there. So McCarthy, Joe McCarthy practiced that. Uh, Huey Long practiced that. And it's just a way, a way that demagogues operate. They they use demagoguery and fear-mongering as a way to rise to power. And while doing so, I think of it, they're taking a sledgehammer uh, to the media. And then the more power a demagogue has, the more corrupt they become, and the more they begin to tilt in, as we have saw with Trump and then proved by the January 6th committee research, they tilt into uh, authoritarianism. So this this notion of, of learning about demagogues is actually, Nicole, I haven't thought of it. I've been talking about this book a lot, but until right now, I have a lot of answers for how do we save democracy. But now I'm realizing the way to save democracy is to understand demagogues and keep them out of office. And we could talk at length if you wanted about the defects in our presidential nominating system, because political parties used to have the power to block demagogues and authoritarians. And due to reforms that took place in the uh, early 1970s, they no longer have that check and balance on demagogues rising. And so that's the great peril. Trump did not have to become president because we did not have to have our defective presidential nominating system. Exactly. Well, and, and our whole presidential election system is flawed because the Electoral College, maybe it made sense 250 years ago. It doesn't make sense today. And we don't seem to have the mechanism to to change uh, a lot of what the the founders put in place with the advent with time passage. Uh, so a lot of things need to change, but they're not going to because it seems like both sides are so dug in. But what we're seeing from the Republicans today, as they follow Trump, is truly frightening. Um, I live in Florida, at least for the time being, still, and. We have a governor here who makes Trump look like child's play. This guy, DeSantis, the the only way I can describe him is fascist. He is, you know, on every front, the don't say gay and the, you know, the, the war against trans people and the and the, um, you know, wanting the menstrual records of girls in school to it's just insane taking books out of the classrooms and now we're seeing the book bannings happening around the country and Missouri the House of Representatives in the state of Missouri actually voted to defund all public libraries in the state this is taking us down a really I was going to say a slippery slope but it's way beyond that this is an avalanche and I don't know how we turn it around. Do you do you think it can be turned around? I am not certain. I do. I do think it can be turned around. It has something to do with if there there are these forces that you're describing, which I would put into the basket of the forces of demagoguery, disinformation, corruption, and authoritarianism. Uh, so the question is, what's opposing it? And so if the forces of ethical constitutional democracy 
are stronger than these forces, ultimately they will triumph. We don't know. A lot of that has to do with one of the foremost forms of checks and balance that exists in democracy, and that is dissent. D-I-S-S-E-N-T, dissent. It, the nation is built upon dissent. And so I think we're at a phase in our history with regard to the issues that you have brought up <clears throat> where we need to uh, bring the practices of MLK back to the center of our lives. The Democratic Party, I do think there's great promise in the Democratic Party. It is the party now, I'll say, like the Republican Party in the 1850s, that's carrying the banner of the Declaration of Independence and ultimately constitutionalism and the rule of law, and is carrying the banner of ethical leadership. So I just, the, my concern is that the Democratic Party might uh, become uh, somewhat corrupted itself. If the Democratic Party stays strong, I think the, that party alone, in combination with the rule of law, can actually help pull us through where we are. But DeSantis, um, the things that he does are called constitutional hardball, And I would bring back what he is doing. Some of it's built into his personality, certainly. But he's also very sadly, right now, people think he's running for president, and he's not. He's running in the Republican primary. And all of the things you mentioned are things that he thinks he might need to do in order to win Trump's base. And so I I won't go into too many more details, but I do want people simply to know that reform of our presidential nominating system where the parties return to selecting the candidates and then the people in the general election, that's where they vote. That's where that cornerstone of free and fair elections and the will of the people comes in. I do disagree with the way our primaries are organized. They're expensive. They're corrupt. They're not majoritarian. They're, plur- they're, 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 they're pluralistic. There's so many problems with our presidential nominating system that I hope it will be reformed. Oh, but, but I got to gotta interrupt you on that one, though. So you're saying the party should pick the nominee. If that's the case, look, I'm not thrilled with the Democratic Party, and I don't like what they did in in 2020, where they basically, they had a coup. I'm sorry. They kicked out, they got all of the Democrats who were still in the race to leave so that Bernie Sanders did not get the nomination, and it went mm-hmm. to Joe Biden. If it was up to the party, it just would have been Joe Biden from day one, I guess, because the old farts who run the party think that it's up to them and not the people. I, I, I think it's got to be up to the people. I love the primaries because that's where we get to vote for the, the person we most want to see in there. Now, I hate the wheeling and dealing and what Jim Clyburn did that I think handed it to Biden. And look, Biden has turned out to be a much better president than I thought he'd be. I'm happy to say that. But I, I, I was disgusted, not only in 2020, but in 2016, with the way the DNC operated. So I'm not ready to give the party more power to choose our nominee. Well, I think there, well, there's utter flexibility. Every political party can kind of organize itself the way that it wishes. And so there's many ways it could be done. The the people could elect the delegates to the 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 nominating conventions conventions which take place every four years Mm -hmm. there are many ways to do it as we have learned what you what you mentioned are problems there's no doubt but in some ways you know churchill said you know democracy is the the worst form of government except for all the others right and so i think in some ways maybe the, the the president's nominating system we have right now is is the worst of 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 others 
So they're always going to be drawbacks. But I do think we've learned where there's no checks and balances against demagogues and authoritarians, where the parties, the party and the nominating convention has its hands tied. We get into things far more dangerous than the exclusion of Bernie Sanders in the Democratic Party. Would you rather have a system where we exclude Bernie Sanders and we get Donald Trump? Or uh, we, you know, you somehow shake that up in a way that makes sure that we don't get demagogues and authoritarians in there. Well, Bernie Sanders is, a, is an economic populist, but he's he's a he is safe constitutional individual by every reading. That's right. Yes, he is yeah. right. But it, yeah. all right, um, Eli Merritt is our guest, and his the, the reason he's here is there's a new book out. It's called How to Save Democracy. I, I'm putting it that way because you didn't write the book; you edited it. It's called How to Save Democracy. But the subtitle is Advice and Inspiration from 95 World Leaders. And the book, it's it's set, it's separated into chapters, um, three, uh, three main sections. You have virtues of democracy, challenges and threats, and the way forward. And you have chapters within them. But each chapter is made up of quotes. And the quotes are from these 95 world leaders. And um, it's fascinating. I mean, I love reading these quotes. It, it's I, it's very interesting the way you work them into the different chapters, and it's a dif- just different way of looking at these things. What I'm curious about is who the world leaders you chose to talk, like to get Duterte of the Philippines commenting on democracy in a book called How to Save Democracy seems sort of like a like a non sequitur. Really, Duterte? Yes. Uh, well, you should have seen uh, some of the uh, quotations from other world leaders that were excluded. It's it is not perfect, and this comes down essentially to you know how did the Biden administration create its invitation list for that first summit, which was in 2021, and also for the second summit, which took place just last month. So uh, nobody really knows; they've not released that, but they're. There, so the idea would be: Can a uh, individual, including Boris Johnson, who supported in the book, yeah, a lot? There's a lot of Boris Johnson quotes yeah. in here. Yeah, well, it's only a few, but really? can they can they say brilliant things about democracy? Uh, yes, and so there are not that many uh, characters of somewhat compromised repute who appear in the book, but there are some. I tried to remove the majority. <laughs> But some did squeak through. Yeah, some are funny. It's like, okay, I'm just scrolling through it. And I don't Oh, I'm in the chapter Peace, Cooperation and Dignity. And here's a quote from Rodrigo Duterte, president of the Philippines. He's a guy who famously said we need to execute drug dealers, right? A democracy needs peace to survive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so some of these are really interesting. It's, maybe it's the do as I do as I say, not as I do doctrine or something yeah. i guess yeah. but yes yes no it's that's it's not perfect uh, uh and someone will always take issue with something but you're right a lot came out and so maybe that one should have come out but if there's a reprinting i'll pull it out no don't <laughs> i mean it's interesting to see him look you have jacinda ardern in there who i think is brilliant i think the world needs more like her and she couldn't do it anymore she's like I've, i can't i'm done Thank you for letting me serve. I did my best, and now I'm going to go home and take care of my baby. Yeah, there's a lot of people get exhausted with democracy work on many different levels. Uh, So we have to figure out how to keep up the fight 
And again, I think right now the key learning would be to go back to, you know, you know how MLK so rigorously trained the folks that participated in his protest because it's very tough to be nonviolent in the, mm-hmm. particularly in the presence of threat and menace. So I do believe that we're at a moment where I'm sad that MLK is not with us, you know, teaching us how to handle these things. It's the, that's the best mechanism. If we get to a place of arbitrary government and we can't, we have to oppose it and we have to try and get international uh, involvement, but we need to understand the history of democracy and that includes what will we do in this country if there is the installation of an arbitrary government that has military support? Horrible to think about, but it happens in lots of democracies. We need to get our history books back out and figure out what those in the past have done. Because I don't think we're smart enough as human beings to figure out complex things like this without the our constant companion, which is history. Right. Oh, well, history is so important, and that's why I'm thrilled to be talking with you today. Eli Merritt, is a, your, history is your first love i guess i mean that's your major that was your was that your first area of concentration before the psychiatry part of it yeah i majored in history as an undergraduate and did some writing I, my senior essay i got published in a journal and then i went on a tangent so to speak for 20 years into psychiatry and now i'm back to to history history and uh, political uh, commentary but there's a real overlap isn't there i can imagine that you draw on your skills as a psychiatrist and knowing about the way the mind works to try to understand what's happening here. I mean, the thing that I'm most freaked out about is the lack of um, belief in reality, that the, the way so many people are so easily led to believe complete lies, you know, and, and, and again, I, I go, I, Trump didn't invent the lie. I think he just perfected the art of it. And, you know, to hear people like Lindsey Graham just the other day echoed this. Those Democrats, they're having abortions up until the time the baby is born. Well, that's just bullshit. That's just a fabricate that is not happening, but they believe it. And they, they Democrats are eating babies. Did you know that? When I heard about I'm like, oh, that's ridiculous. They believe it. These people who have gone to led down this rabbit hole. Thanks, I think, in part, a big part to the Internet, they believe this stuff. And these politicians, these elected officials who know better, I know that Lindsey Graham knows that women are not having abortions up until the moment of birth. Oh, and after, because they say that, too. We're just killing them. They're dismembering them in the delivery room. Um, They know that, yet they lie anyway, knowing that people are going to believe them. This can't be healthy in a democracy or for a democracy. No, I think it's, uh, we got a lot of things to uh, complain about and call illnesses, but I think you've pointed to the one that's the worst. And if you think of Alex Jones <laughs> and uh, absolutely, you didn't mention that one among your just yep. absolutely nope. pernicious, yep. uh, heartless, uh, remorseless lies. And so what are we going to do about the phenomenon, uh, which I like to think of succinctly as profit, fueled demagoguery. Demagoguery by itself has a powerful uh, effect, intoxicating effect on the minds of people. But then when you add the profit, we're not talking about small profit here, of course, we're talking about huge profit. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is going to be necessarily an area of reform. In a way, indirectly, we're reforming it with the rule of law through defamation cases. We see that with the Dominion voting systems case with Fox. We saw that. How many of us breathed a sigh of relief that 
Alex Jones was, you know, found guilty of defamation and punished. I think it was up near billions, a billion dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think Biden frequently says, folks, democracy is resilient and he's only halfway right. Democracy is resilient if we reform democracy and our history demonstrates that, that people, the people need to get involved at times of crisis. So right. that's, that's why it's hard to it's hard for people to figure out how to get involved. But at the place place I do, I do wish upon all of us that everyone would get involved and put a shoulder to the project. Place to start there is to start by understanding democracy, study democracy, and then if a light bulb goes off for you, in terms of a match of your skill set, then you get involved, whether it's an hour a week or an hour a day, whatever it is. Well, that's one of your key principles of democratic success, right? At the beginning of the book, you list six of them. Get involved. Yes, that's a no-brainer. Hold leaders accountable. Well, we're trying to do that. And with a lot of pushback from the partisans on the right who say it's okay if you're a Republican, right? The old uh, Rachel Maddow thing. It's okay if you're a Republican. If a Democrat tries this, we're going to fry him. But it's a Republican, so it's okay. We can break the law. We could do whatever we want. And you can't hold him accountable because he was the president. I mean, we're trying to hold somebody accountable who broke numerous laws. And yet you'd think we're, you know, we're, we're killing their baby. Your others, you have demand free and fair elections is number three. Four, equality, inclusion, and diversity are cornerstones of democracy. Well, that's wokeism. And Florida <laughs> is where woke goes to die, don't you know? I mean, sorry you're there, Nicole. I'm sorry? I said, I'm sorry you're there. <laughs> you so, and me I both. Don't want I'm you to working on it. So goes to die. Okay. I'm working on it. And then the other ones free and independent news media must pursue the truth. Yeah, unless you're Fox. I'll get to that in a second. And citizens and nations must unite to defend democracy. Well, I mentioned Fox a moment ago. I will not use Fox with the word that they follow that with because Fox is not news. In fact, this is something I put together. Also, probably 10 years ago. Your original source for fake news. Fox News. We make shit up. Because they've always made shit up. Now it's they're going to be held accountable before it, for it. But their, their viewers don't know about the Dominion lawsuit because they don't report on it. To the point where Tucker Carlson even had an interview with Donald Trump what, last night. And was fawning all over him, even though we know he hates him with a passion. Um, it's insane. And then I pulled this off the air. Well, I don't watch Fox, but I pulled a clip from a clip service. And this is Tucker Carlson. <laughs> Just listen. Right, but hold on. Why would we take Ukraine's side and not Russia's side? Uh, it's a sincere question. If you're looking from the American perspective. Side. No, but why? I mean... <laughs> Who's got the energy reserves? Who's who's the major player in world affairs? Who's the potential counterbalance against China, which is the actual threat? Why would we take Ukraine's side? Why wouldn't we have Russia's side? I, I don't. I'm totally confused. Ukraine is a democracy. Uh, Russia is an authoritarian regime that is seeking to impose its will upon a validly elected democracy in Ukraine. And we're on the side of democracy. That's why people were chasing those planes in Afghanistan and wouldn't be chasing Russian ones. We're for democracy. We're for liberty. We're not for authoritarian regimes coming in and changing borders by tanks. Russia isn't showing up on the border with ballot boxes. They're showing up on the border with tanks. And that's why we need to make certain we're on the side of democracy. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I'm guessing for democracy in other countries, I guess. 
I guess I'm for democracy in other countries. That's Tucker Carlson. He is the top-rated cable so-called news personality in the country right now. That's the problem. Yeah, I get, when I hear Tucker Carlson, I get some symptoms of post-traumatic stress. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's all wrong. It's, it, it is the sickness. I mean, he is the embodiment, again, to look at core themes of profit-fueled demagoguery. The, the, the famous demagogue that we've been studying since uh, ancient Athens is the political figure, but it's any figure that is intimately involved in the rhetoric of a democracy. And so these folks are, are demagogues as well, gaining fame among their audience and a lot of money from the demagoguery. And, you know, you mentioned accountability earlier as, I guess, uh, the principle number two there. Mm-hmm. It just it made me think of what, to me, we think of January 6, uh, 2021, as a very dark day for our democracy, which yeah. it is. But with regard to accountability, to me personally, the darker day was February 13th, uh, 2022, when the Senate, the U.S. Senate had the opportunity to convict, which was less yep. important because Trump had left office. They had the opportunity to permanently disbar Trump from office. So yep. I, I, go, I go back to that, it seems like, every day, just with a sense of my heart drops at the failure. We only needed 10 more senators to succeed in that. Yeah. So that's the greatest failure of... Our democracy right there is the Republican Party putting party above country. And also, also, I think that those senators are poorly educated. They actually I do actually believe they also don't understand democracy. They didn't understand demagogues and they, they don't understand that demagogues, Trump, which most would acknowledge Trump is that they can bring down democracies. Right. And, and a lot of them don't. I mean, but there are some the ones who've been there for a while who were around when things were more, and I hate to use the word normal, but more normal. Um, Not that they were ever great in the last 30 years or so, but Lindsey Graham knows better. He's just going where he sees the mood of the people. He's following the populism, I guess, because he doesn't want to lose it. They're, They're putting their jobs over the future of the country, which is what's so insane. Um, Also, I think they're, to, not to give them credit, really, but they're, I do believe their minds have been overtaken by the cult of demagoguery of Trump. Also, I think we don't understand, particularly someone like Lindsey Graham, like we mentioned the House earlier, for, for him, the Republican Party is like a family member. It's like his town. It's, it's, it's so intimately tied to him. And so the Republican Party is falling apart. And I, I just see folks like him as in just a desperate state of fight or flight and danger yeah. and his anger. So I, I don't think they actually care that much about Trump, but Trump has become the Republican Party, and the Republican Party for them is like the self in some ways. So, And by the way, Lindsey Graham in 2015 went on CNN, and he said, Trump is a dangerous demagogue. He is going to bring down the Republican Party. Oh. Every Republican must refuse to cooperate and and assert their principles. Of course, his worry was that Trump was going to bring down the Republican Party, but, he, but that, of course, he thought Trump as a, a candidate, as the nominee, could never win. Right. So did he know he could win? And once he saw that this works and our power party is in power, he, I'm sure, in a conflicted way, 
sacrifice. It was a Faustian bar- bargain. And now they're just drunk and, and I think caught in the cult of personality. Well, he just didn't realize that I was on the Internet, you know, criticizing Hillary Clinton. So, you know, if not for me, uh, you got to go back to the beginning of the show. and get yeah, the I think that could be a meme, you know, blame Nicole. <laughs> right. Blame Nic- oh, please. There's enough of that going around. Really. I, I got to ask you one question from a listener. Vereen 70 in the chat room said, <laughs> ask him which facet of government we need to change first to save democracy. See, this is my problem. They're so... It's like what Trump does, throws so much shit against the wall, so every day it's something else and you can't keep up with it. There are so many problems, I think, inherent in our system right now, made worse by our current situation, that where do you start? What do we need to do first? Well, I I do have an answer for that. And even though you may not like it, Nicole, I'm going to say it anyway. I'm going to say, in a way, think of a democracy as a where all the citizens are horses okay mm-hmm. this is no insult to any of us because we're all in there of yep. many kinds but some of the horses are are domesticated okay so they kind of know how to behave so the idea in this democracy of horses is and i'm not making this up and if people think it's elitist well too bad because i'm not saying they have to be rich or go to ivy league schools i'm just saying they have to be domesticated so the only ones that can get into government are the domesticated horses. Uh-huh. Wild horses can't go into government because wild horses go into government and they knock them down. Mm-hmm. The principle, I, yeah, there's a beautiful they quotation. Break from they from break James them. Madison right? said, James Madison, I paraphrase, said, the principal aim of a constitution, I want to repeat that, the principal aim of a constitution is to bring people of judgment and wisdom and ethics, and I'm paraphrasing now, into government who will put the common good above the self. So that takes us back to the presidential nominating system. I think systems like ours, democracy, simply cannot tolerate the presence of authoritarians and demagogues in the White House. It just, no matter how strong the structures are, in his own way, someone like Trump is an absolute genius. And to take the sledgehammer of the media uh, metaphor uh, forward, he just takes the sledgehammer to anything and everything that would, would, would cause him to lose power. So the political parties must find a way to block the ascent, no matter what, of authoritarians and demagogues. You should not, no political party should let a candidate go forward who it's not sure is going to abide by their oath of office, free and fair elections, the, the, the peaceful transfer of presidential power. So that's going to require some checks and balances being restored. And so that is, again, the reform of the presidential nominating system, where it's not direct democracy to uh, become the candidate and then direct democracy to become the president. That's where we have to uh, most significantly reform. And it's the easiest area of reform as well, because political parties can change their rules on a drop. Yeah, but right, but right now we're also at a time when more and more Americans are identifying with no party affiliation. They're no, they're choosing not to be a, a Republican or Democrat. So you've got this huge independent, you know, group. <laughs> they're going to do their own thing regardless. Well, if if I may presume to give some advice to those people, it's temporary advice. Mm-hmm. I would say get into the Democratic Party right now. Go tomorrow, join, because this party needs you and the nation needs you. 
because there's only one party today that is maintaining, as I believe I mentioned earlier, is waving that banner of the Declaration of Independence and the rule of law at the highest levels where it matters most, and also ethical leaderships, and that's the Democratic Party. That was the Republican Party in the 1850s. So get aboard the Democratic Party now, help it, even if you don't like its policies, and once we're feeling we've stabilized our democracy, get out and do whatever you want. But make some hard choices right now. Don't the the, the Democratic Party needs all the strengthening and, right now. And- Absolutely, I I hundred percent agree with you. Now is not the time to stand on you know uh, on. The, the, the you know the perfect being the enemy of the good. Now is the time to get in there and stop these Republicans from turning this into a fascist country, from bringing fascism back because we're this close. It, we, oh, look, the abortion laws, what's happening not only here but around the country, it's dangerous. And if we if we want to survive as a nation, I think anybody who's got half a brain needs to. Know that the Republicans have to be defeated. You just have to. And then we can work on improving the Democratic Party because we all know the Democratic Party needs improvement. That's right. I'll challenge people even more and just say we, we all need to get behind ethical constitutional democracy that is rooted in, to borrow from Lincoln, malice towards none and charity for all. That is very hard, but that is the stuff that worked for Lincoln, that is the exact same stuff that worked for MLK. And it is the exact same stuff that will work for us today if we can uh, find our way to in that precise direction. Eli Merritt, this has been a fascinating discussion. We could keep going. I really enjoyed it. Um, you can find the book is How to Save Democracy, but there's so much more. You go to EliMerritt.com and the, the, your sub stack again is called what? Uh, yeah, it's uh, you, you Google Eli Merritt, American Commonwealth. You can American put in the word Substack if you know, but I'm pretty uh, sure. Yeah, it's called I'll, American I'll Commonwealth. I'll find it, and I'll link to it from where I post the show today so people right. can, can get it there. Uh, Eli, thank you so much. I hope you'll come back because obviously we are heading into um, uh, uncharted territory with these trials that are coming up. First, the one with Trump and uh, E. Jean Carroll, which is supposed to start next week. He, they're trying right. to delay it. Um, then, you know, it's going to be one after another after another. And I think, I, I I hate to say it, but I speak the truth. I think things are going to get a whole lot worse before they get better. And we'll need a somebody with a historical perspective on what has happened before and what hasn't and what's possible. So I, I hope you'll, uh, you'll come back. Great. It was great fun and important to talk to you, Nicole. I'll be happy to come back. Thank you so much. Great to meet All you. Right. And and are you in are you in Tennessee now? See, Florida's bad, but Tennessee's pretty bad too. It is pretty bad. I, I live in San Francisco most of the year, ah. and I'm in Nashville some. But I actually was born and raised in Nashville, so ah, gotcha. It's, it's near and dear to me. And let's end by saying. Thank God for the two Justins. Thank God for the two Justins. And both Justins are back today. Now they both have to run for their seats again, but they're back for now. So uh, for once, um, the good guys win. Eli, yeah. thank you so much. It was it was great to meet you. Really appreciate it. All right. Take All right. care. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, before we leave, we're going to go into overtime because somebody's calling from the 818 area code. Who's this? This is Pete Perlman. Hey, Pete. Hey, Pete. Hi. Um, uh, didn't he say that um, Trump was the demagogue president? I mean, doesn't that 
I, w- I would certainly include Nixon in that. Yeah, but you know what? You compare Nixon to Trump, and they are there's no comparison there. Nixon, you know what? Nixon actually, if I, I, I remember correctly, he's the one who the the Environmental Protection Agency was born under Richard Nixon. He actually did a few good things, not many. He was a really bad man. But the, yeah, he did. The levels but I'm of, specifically thinking of his stance on the media. He was one of the oh, most yeah. notorious guys against the media, right? Without a doubt, without a doubt, the enemy of the people. Even though that is a, you know, that's a like a that's a throwback to the Nazis and to fascism. That's that's a precept of, of fascism. Um, but Nixon echoed that again. It's he was of the the same mind as Trump. If you're not with me, you're the enemy. You and know, he had his enemies list. And he had his yeah. enemies list. You know, you have you have Joe Biden saying, you know, I'm the president for everybody. Even if you didn't vote for me, I'm still here for you. You have Donald Trump and Richard Nixon back then. You have Don, but mostly Donald Trump saying, if you didn't vote for me, you're the enemy. You're not with us. You're the enemy. You're bad. The Democrats are evil. They're eating babies. I mean, this is where this shit comes from. Oh, yeah. He's definitely the worst. You're right. Yep. So it's they are both horrible, but it's it's a different universe now than it was then. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Good show. Thank you. Thank you, Pete. Good to talk to you. Take care. Bye bye. Um, Yeah. So, uh, you know, that was a tough discussion. I think we had to have it. Uh, and I don't know that we answered any questions. And I don't know that the book, and I, I, you know, I had a misnomer up there on the screen. I said author, How to Save Democracy. He's not the author. He's the editor and put together all these quotes. And they're fascinating quotes. I mean, it's great to read. Look, I can open up to any page and let me do it. I'll, here, How to Save Democracy. I'm just spinning. It's, it's PDF. So I'm just spinning the wheel on my mouse. And it comes up on a page. Um, I'm still waiting uh, here. Let me just pull it down and I'll stop on a random page in the way forward. Okay. Part three, the way forward. Um, here's a couple of quotes from the page. Prime minister of Jamaica, Andrew Holness said, democracy requires constant vigilance, vigilance in maintaining and strengthening its institutions and principles. Okay. Uh, Michael Martin, prime minister of Ireland We all must play our part in the untiring effort to protect the integrity of our democratic systems for the future. It's a lot of quotes, a lot of stuff here. I don't know that there's much actionable, except in the introduction where where Eli lays out those six principles that I told you about. His other stuff, too. I mean, there's more here than just this book, and I'm glad we had the conversation. All right. Um, By the way, I have been drinking during the show my coffee. It's not a smoothie. It's a coffee drink um, done the way I like it. So I don't have to get the Starbucks, all the shit they put in their drinks. It's coffee. It's a little bit of uh, cacao powder, chocolate, um, some some milk, vegan milk, um, a, a little bit of sweetener stevia and a lot of ice. And I've had this delicious, refreshing coffee drink. Didn't cost anything but, you know, the stuff I had in the house. And I blended it up beautifully in my blend jet, too. And I've been nursing it throughout this hour. It's still cold. It's still icy. Um, this is all to tell you that blend jet has the blend jet, too, available. And if you go to blendjet.com and use the promo code FEEDME12, you'll get a 12% discount. 
free two-day shipping, and they make wonderful gifts. Uh, I'm telling you, Mother's Day is coming up. This is a great Mother's Day gift, and you can thank me later. Again, um, blendjet.com, promo code FEEDME12, and go do it. Oh, another call coming in. This one from uh, Florida. It's a Tampa call. Hi, who's this? Hey, this is Vereen70 from Tampa. Hey, Vereen, I didn't realize you were in Tampa. I didn't realize you were in Florida, too. Oh, yeah. We have a lot in common, actually, because I went to USF as well. Mm -hmm. I joined the Marine Corps, and back in the 90s, I ended up going to the Gulf War. And I actually saw the the uh, heard the broadcast when you guys went over there. Oh my God! We yeah, so <laughs> wow, that's wild. So back in ninety, I think it was ninety two. 92, Mm -hmm. when the first Gulf War, I was producing the Mark and Brian show. We were the number one morning show in Los Angeles. And we went Mm -hmm. with the USO over to Saudi Arabia on the eve of the war, the start of the war, to do a broadcast. And then we flew right back. We went with USO. We had, do you remember, MGM Grand Air. We took one of those planes over filled with stuff. For the troops, it was the mm-hmm. most emotional thing. Uh, but you, you I heard remember that. Oh my God, that's wild. Yeah, that- yeah, I remember. That's why when you talk about this stuff, I'm like, gosh, I, man, our our lives were so because our lives were so uh, kind of connected. I guess it's yeah. kind of creepy to say it weird, <laughs> but it, it's like weird because you know I was stationed in California. I loved it. Oh my God, it was wonderful back in the nineties, mm-hmm. the, the early nineties. Oh, it was great, and. Uh, I had ended up going to uh, Saudi Arabia during the first Gulf War, and I was like, wow, she was there at the same time. That was the broadcast I heard. Yes. I was like, I can't believe it. And I don't have <laughs> – you know what? I have tape of leaving for the airport. We didn't know if we were going to be allowed to go because the government said – if Mark and Brian are on that plane, the plane is not landing here. We thought we were going to be stuck in Scotland because we had to stop for refueling in, at Prestwick Airport in Scotland – which, by the way, was in the news because Donald Trump, one of his stupid golf courses, is in that area. It's like, oh, my God, right. I was there. Um, but it, we thought we were making alternate plans to go out and look for the mm-hmm. Loch Ness Monster because we thought we weren't going to be able to get back on the plane and go to Saudi Arabia. We'd have to be a day in Scotland. So we, it turns out we were able to, but <laughs> wild, wild that, times. That's amazing. But I wanted to say real quick, and I'll let you go, is that I don't know if I 100% agree with your guest. Yeah. Because he, I believe he believes that it's the uh, election process that we need to tackle first in order to save democracy. That's what it sounded However, like. However, yeah. I, oh, I'm sorry. No, I said that's what it sounded like. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have interrupted you. Go on. You think what? Uh, no. But, but to me, it's, I would think it's the court because they're wielding so much power right now. Yeah, that's a big one. Look, the, you know, what's happening with the courts, this, this judge in Texas who has no scientific background, he's not a doctor, yet he thinks he, as a judge appointed by Trump, has the power to take a drug off the market that has been approved by the FDA and sold and used for over 20 years well, that's he's a bit out of his lane there, and something's got to reel these people in. He can't be allowed to do that. By the same token, Clarence Thomas needs to leave the fucking court because he's an ethical nightmare, and he doesn't understand the meaning of the word. Can you believe that guy? I mean, he actually is the poster boy for, for corruption. Yep. <laughs> he's, 
it, it's it's amazing that he would sit on the court and the court has no ethical like backstop for these guys. They can do whatever they want. And that the Republican Party is not screaming because I promise you, if it was one of the liberal justices, and I use the word lightly because they're not really liberal, but if it was one of right. the <coughs> the non-MAGA on the court, the Democrats would also be screaming, get him out of there. Look, Al Franken should still be in the Senate today. He didn't do anything wrong. They set him up with exactly. that stupid photograph. And the Democrats said, you know what? It doesn't look good. He should go. No. Right. And he and he was the only one that would kick in Republicans in their backside. That's right. And that's why they targeted him. They they set him up. That woman who was on that USO tour was a a fill-in person on on, uh, KABC in Los Angeles, which was a Mm right-wing talk station. And they plotted this to set him up because she had this picture where Al Franken was pretending he was grabbing her boobs. It was nonsense. Mm -hmm. There was nothing. He didn't do anything wrong. And he never should have left. Exactly. But look, I'm going to get out of here, but I just want to say I love your show and thank you for doing this because actually they, they call the the press the, what do they call them? The, the enemy the, uh, of pillar, the people. The fourth- oh, the fourth estate. Well, it was yeah, the, the fourth, fourth estate. And, you know, Vereen, I'm so glad you brought that up because there's a point I meant to make with Eli. I have my problems with many in the media. You know what? Mm-hmm. It's gotten to, it used to be, if you were a member of the press, it was you were objective. But by the same token, radio, when I started in radio, before I worked with Mark and Brian, I worked at a news talk station in New York. I, I actually produced the Bob Grant show. Bob Grant was the guy who came before Rush Limbaugh. He was the, the one mm-hmm. of the original right wing nut jobs. And he would yell, get off my air. You know, he he, mm-hmm. he was he was. But but on the same station, we had Barry Gray, who was the liberal. We had all viewpoints represented. And that was the thing. So people who they were loyal to the station, they heard it all. You heard both sides. We had the fairness doctrine, which just didn't mean equal Mm -hmm. time. It just meant if you take one stance, you need to at least have someone else on to voice the opposite opinion. So people hear exactly. both sides of it. And and Reagan killed that. So, yeah. You know, and nothing has been it, the same was, since. Right. It's supposed to be equal time. And maybe we can get back to it. I don't know if we'll ever get back to it. Again, it's so not, not equal time. Equal time is when it comes to campaigns. A candidate, if you have what, give one candidate so much time, you have to give the opponent equal time but the fairness doctrine was you need to present both sides of the argument you can't just be fox you can't just push the right-wing propaganda and not tell the truth you you need to present both sides of the story is what it what it was that's that's right i'm I'm sorry that's okay you're you're absolutely right but uh, again i love your show i'm gonna let you go okay you have a wonderful day and i will call again Thank you so much, Vereen. Good to talk to you. Uh, All right. And that does it for us for this uh, Wednesday. The rest of the week is going to be more fun. I'm sure. Look, we'll start off the show as I usually do. Maybe not with fun. um, And tomorrow maybe is not going to be fun. Some of it will be. Some of it's going to be downright upsetting. Um, But I will always start with the news and, you know, what's happening. If there's any breaking news, I promise I'll give it to you. Tomorrow we're going to talk to another radio veteran, somebody who 
uh, grew up sort of parallel to me. We never met until a few weeks ago, but um, uh, she, if you, if you're from the Philly area, you probably remember Erin Riley. Um, so she's my guest tomorrow. We'll talk a little bit about radio. We'll talk about her book, uh, which is about her life with a covert narcissist. And yes, there are correlations between the guy she lived with for 20 years and the former guy. So we'll do that. And Friday, Joan Walsh will be here. And we will talk politics. We'll talk everything. But the main topic for our discussion is going to be Bruce Springsteen. I'm just warning you now because you got two two old broads who grew up with Bruce. So uh, we may have to out Bruce each other. I've got a picture with him. Just saying. All right. With that, we're done. Uh, thank you for listening. Thanks for the email. Even from our, you know, friend, by the way, someone said, how do you know that guy? And and I read this email at the beginning of the show. Um, uh, how do you know he's real and not a troll? Because Harrison Anthony King of Calhoun, Georgia, signed his email with 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 an address. Well, it's a P.O. box, but in Calhoun, Georgia, and his mobile work and fax phone numbers. So. Who knows? One of these days we may have to call old Harrison Anthony King. He didn't say don't use my name, so I figured it's okay. Hi, Harrison. Hope you enjoyed the show today. Keep those cards and letters coming. All right. And by the way, if you enjoy what you hear, please support the show financially. It's not a grift. It's an ask. In fact, my show is free. I'm not behind any paywall, like most of the shows are. So if you can't afford it, that's why it's not behind a paywall, because people are hurting still. And I want to make the show available to anybody who wants to listen. Now, if you have the means and can afford to kick in a few bucks a month or a one-time deal or whatever to support the work I'm doing, please do. Go to NicoleSandler.com. There's all kinds of donate buttons and stuff around. Um, or you could buy a, a Blendjet, too, because I do get a commission off of each one of these sold. Um, there are ways you can support me, but it's not a grift, Harrison. I'm not telling you you have to pay to listen. I'm not like that, but, you know, whatever. You be you. You, you, Harrison, you be you. All right, I'll see you tomorrow, everybody. I'll leave you with the news. And at the end, I'm going to do my little ask for contributions, just so you know, because I, I don't want you to think badly of me. It's time for Nicole Sandler's What's News from NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg on Tuesday sued Congressman Jim Jordan, chair of the House Judiciary Committee, accusing him of a, quote, brazen and unconstitutional attempt to intimidate prosecutors for filing criminal charges against the former guy. Bragg last week charged Donald Trump with 34 felonies, mainly connected to his role in making hush money payments to Stormy Daniels to cover up a sex scandal just before the 2016 election. Bragg and his lawyers are trying to block Jordan and other Republicans from enforcing a subpoena issued to Mark Pomerantz. He's the former lead lawyer in the Manhattan DA's Trump investigation. Jordan said Bragg 
indicted Trump for, quote, no crime, then sued to block congressional oversight of his use of federal funds to do it. President Biden on Tuesday met with British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak after he arrived in Belfast for a four-day visit to Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. The visit marking the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, which ended 30 years of violent conflict. The White House said that tremendous progress had been made in Northern Ireland, which is part of the U.K., The city of Louisville, Kentucky, is holding a vigil today to let community members grieve the five people killed this week in a bank shooting. Just yesterday, the police released body cam footage of the shooting at the Old National Bank, where a 25-year-old employee opened fire on his colleagues and then engaged in a shootout with police before he was shot dead. The shooter's motive remains unclear as authorities today are expected to release audio of the 911 calls that could reveal more details. This according to Louisville Mayor Craig Greenberg, who yesterday pleaded for state and federal assistance in addressing gun violence in Kentucky, which has some of the least restrictive state gun laws in the nation. Yesterday's tragedy brings us to 40 people who've been shot to death this year in our city. This isn't about partisan politics. This is about life and death. This is about preventing tragedies. You may think this will never happen to you, never happen to any of your friends or loved ones. I used to think that. The sad truth is that now no one in our city, no one in our state, no one in our country has that luxury anymore. Last year, I survived a workplace shooting. And now yesterday, I've lost a very close friend in another workplace shooting. This is happening in America everywhere and will keep happening until we say enough and take meaningful action. So after the vigil today, maybe there will be protests because what we've learned is protests work. In a surprising turnaround, the governor of Tennessee, Bill Lee, a Republican, signed an executive order to tighten background checks. This marks a victory for gun reformers in the Republican-controlled state just a few weeks after a mass shooting in Nashville at a Christian elementary school. Governor Lee also called upon the state's legislature to pass a red flag law that would make it easier to remove guns from people who pose a danger to themselves or others. And today, the Shelby County Board of Commissioners will consider reappointing Justin Pearson, one of the two black Democrats expelled last week from the Republican-led Tennessee House, to his seat representing parts of Memphis. The other expelled lawmaker, Justin Jones, was reinstated on Monday after Nashville's governing council voted unanimously to send him back to work. The Justice Department has launched a criminal investigation into who may have leaked classified Pentagon documents and posted them to social media, while the Pentagon is investigating how the leak impacts U.S. national security. Officials say that the leaking of these documents, many of which are marked top secret, represents a major national security breach. Among other revelations, the documents suggest that the U.S. is pessimistic that Ukraine can quickly end the war against Russia. They highlight specific weaknesses in both Ukraine's weaponry and Russia's military offensive, predicting a stalemate for months to come. The documents also indicate some intelligence that defense officials are gathering about China, the country that Washington has deemed, quote, the most serious long-term challenge to the international order. 
well, that slope is getting a whole lot more slippery. A federal judge last month ordered the Llano County Library System in Texas to return 12 children's books to its shelves that had been removed mainly because of their LGBTQ and racial content. The response to that order? A meeting today will include a discussion of whether to continue or seize operations of the three-branch library system. Seriously, instead of returning 12 children's books to its shelves, they're talking about shutting down the entire library system in that county. Similar fights are happening across the country as more and more books are being taken off the shelves, like in Missouri, where the House Republicans voted to defund all of that state's public libraries, defund all of their libraries. The bill next goes to the Missouri Senate, where hopefully saner minds will prevail, though I don't hold out much hope. The Environmental Protection Agency is proposing new vehicle emission limits with the most aggressive option leading to two thirds of all new passenger cars and light duty truck sales being electric by 2032. The EPA estimating that the proposals would avert the equivalent of two full years of nationwide carbon dioxide emissions. And it's official. The 2024 Democratic National Convention will be held in Chicago, where the party will officially nominate candidates for president and vice president. The DNC made the announcement Tuesday calling the Midwest a critical Democratic stronghold that helped President Biden win the 2020 election. The Republicans already announced their convention will be held in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Today, appearing in Iowa, another potential Republican contender, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, is announcing he's forming an exploratory committee. Doing so will enable him to ramp up fundraising and pay for travel before he officially announces a bid. And travel he is. After Iowa today, he goes to New Hampshire tomorrow. And that's just a bit of what's news for now. I'm Nicole Sandler. If you appreciate these reports and the Nicole Sandler Show, I hope you'll consider making a contribution. My work is listener supported, and I can't do it without your help. Find out more at NicoleSandler.com, and please click on that donate button. 